Well, if you were with us for either of our cantatas, uh, you heard part of the narration um, that's going to kind of form the thesis of my thought process today. Uh, A, because it comes out of the texts uh, from scripture that we're looking at, and B, because I have not been able to let it go. Um, it actually started as a conversation here in the office uh, among some pastor types, um, and we're actually thinking about it maybe for a series for next Advent. Um, but here is the portion of the cantata narration that I'm talking about. It's too much to unpack for today, but it's worth considering who came to the cradle of Jesus and how they came. Shepherds and seekers, those on the outskirts of society and lofty thinkers, but they all came to bow down. All of those, in fact, who were a part of the story that Jesus is rooted in throughout the Old Testament, they all walked with the same posture, bowing down, saying yes to God, offering whatever they had. Might we consider ourselves standing at the base of the bassinet? How would we come? What posture would we take? What might we have to offer? Uh, again, these are the questions that I've been wrestling with, and today we've got uh, two passages of Scripture that are before us. Uh, the story of the Magi, who come from the east of Israel, and then the story of <clears throat> excuse me, of 12-year-old baby Jesus, or child Jesus at 12 years old, um, who gets lost, and they find him in, uh, in the temple in Jerusalem. So uh, here we go. Let's look at our first passage of Scripture. I'm going to read just a portion of it. Uh, it says that in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, right, the capital city, to the palace, asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage, right, to pay him honor. They've come to honor this newborn king. Uh, awkward moment. The king was not born there as a child of the existing king. So some Moments ensue where they try to figure out where this king would have been born so that the wise men can honor him and so that the king can take care of him. Um, it says the wise men leave the palace following the star that they've been following to get them there. It says when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chest, they offered him what they had, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod to let them know where the baby was, they left for their own country by another road. Uh, I think the story of the wise men is fascinating. Uh, to me, we only get to ever talk about it once a year. So I feel like you got to get all your stuff out while you can. But uh, these are foreign dignitaries, foreign leaders, foreign thinkers, and they've come to a foreign nation, uh, to a foreign culture, to a foreign power, to bow down to a foreign king. I mean, that just... That's a fascinating place to be. Now, they are the representation of the Gentiles in the story of Jesus. Um, I was watching the movie The Star with my uh, kids. It's not super accurate, uh, but it did make me think a lot. Um, they let us know early on that Jesus is indeed a king, right? They uh, they set off a, sh a chain of events that shapes and forms and explains the early existence of Jesus' life. Like they're a really crucial part um, of the of the story that exists, um, and all of that is possible because they came to bow down to pay him homage. The other story that we have before us is the story of twelve year old Jesus uh, in a a parenting moment gone awry. Uh, it says, now every year, uh, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, 
That'll be important. And when he was 12 years old, they went up just as they usually did. And when the festival was over, they started to return. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends, I suspect that night for dinner. And when they did not find him, they rushed back to Jerusalem to search for him. And after three days, so he's been missing for four days now. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and at his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us this way? Look, your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand what he said to them. Now, I don't know if this is snarky 12-year-old Jesus or if this is a legit question. That's up for debate. And then again, another subject for another day. But I would like to suggest to you that this story is the, the beginning of a story of Jesus whose life is lived, bowed down. Um, if we return to Jerusalem 20 years from now, right? Um, 21 years from now uh, or so, we see Jesus again at the festival of Passover, bowed down again, asking God to take the cup from him. Um, asks Heavenly Father to take the cup, and but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus goes on living a bowed down life. And while uh, Mary couldn't have understood it, maybe in this moment, we see uh, that 21 Passovers from now, she's there again in Jerusalem, standing at the base of Jesus's cross, would have been close enough to reach up and touch his face. Um, and uh, obviously widowed by this point in time, Joseph isn't there. Jesus tells John to look after her and them to look after each other. Um, you know, maybe it finally made some sense that this is Jesus came, was sent to live a, a bowed down life. We see it's not just the posture of those who came to Jesus's cradle, it's Jesus's posture. It's the posture of all those uh, who serve so faithfully and willingly in the story of Jesus. Um, they live a bowed down life. They live a bowed down life. Now, um, I'm not allowed to come up with a, a New Year's resolution. Uh, normally I don't. Uh, normally I do that on my birthday. It's my new year, June. Um, but uh, last year, uh, the end of 22 had been so rough for me personally, like emotionally, uh, that I declared that 23 was going to be a worry-free 23. And then that did not happen. Um, the first few months, uh, we had some discord at home that we were sorting through, uh, caused a lot of anxious worry there. Uh, after that kind of got cleared up, uh, then uh, we had several friends who were in different states of uh, disarray in their own homes and their own relationships. Um, it felt like we were caring for a lot of people and worrying about them, praying for them. So we kind of came through that season. Uh, those all found different sort of states of, of resolving or resolution or next stepping. And then uh, so that cleared up by the summer, at which point in time my parents' uh, health like kind of took a turn. Uh, we spent a lot of time worrying about that in kind of early fall. That finally got cleared up. Everything's great there. Um, and I thought, well, maybe we'll get one good month. And then, you know, budget season around here has been a tough one this year. Uh, so I had a lot of work worry, uh, which means that there has not been one single day of 23 that feels like it has been worry free. Um, and we've been joking about just how bad uh, of a job I did at making that declaration so much that my wife Chambliss has said, no more. Uh, predicting from you. Uh, I came home the other day and I said, you know, I think uh, that 24, we should say, fear no more. 24, fear no more. And she just said, oh Lord, uh, you know, 
that's what 23 has been like with your proclamation. What do we need to be afraid of at 24? So I am not allowed to make a New Year's resolution. I'm not making one. That's not what you're hearing me doing. Um, I'm not going to do that. But if you would like to hear anything that I say after this in a way that might help you, um, I feel free. Feel free to use it to whatever degree you would like. Um, what would it look like in 2024 uh, for you? Again, I'm not allowed to for you to live a bowed down life. If I were answering that question, here's how I would, here's how I would answer it. Uh, first, uh, I want to uh, call it uh, win at loving more, win at loving more. Um, we, uh, you know, when we love others, we yield to them. Uh, we yield gracefully to them. It's a yielding is a, a posture of bowing, right? Uh, Paul says, that if we're going to compete at something, we should compete at loving more. He says, let love be genuine, hate what is evil and hold on fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor and showing homage, right? Like what would it look like for us to outdo one another in showing love? Uh, my daughter, Charlotte is five. Uh, we're in the season where we play the game about who loves who more. Uh, and she makes up numbers to talk about how big her love is for me. And I always say to her, I love you one more than that. What if we chose to love everyone in our lives one more than that? Like what if we were all in a one more than that sort, uh, of, of moment? Um, outdoing one another and showing honor or showing respect? I mean, what if the person that we disagreed with more than anybody else, what if the person that we have sort of harbored hate for, like what if it looked like trying to figure out how to honor, how to value uh, them? Jesus says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. What would it look like for us to, to redefine the least of these maybe more broadly uh, than just the, just the, the usual suspects? Um, if you will. I'm not saying that love is easy. All love costs us something. Um, love should be genuine. I'm not suggesting that we start loving things that are, are wicked or evil. That's not what I'm suggesting. Uh, but what would it look like for us um, to really make a concerted effort to outdo one another in showing honor, to win at, uh, at loving more? Uh, the second thing that if I were making a New Year's resolution, which I am not, uh, that I would be considering about living a life bowed down, um, is uh, what I want to call leveraging your muchness for the work of God. Levering, leveraging your muchness for the work of God. We see the wise men come and bow down, right? Show honor. Um, they don't just show honor, though. They offer something. They offer what they have, gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Um, what is it? What is it that you have to offer? Jesus says that we're supposed to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. He says that's the greatest commandment. He's borrowing that language from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy where God gives us the Shema, a prayer that is to be prayed. It says that we are to uh, love Lord, our God, with heart, soul, and strength is how we tend to translate those. We're going to actually come back to those in Lent. Uh, but strength is is the Hebrew word meod, um, which I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but it really means your muchness. It's a, it's a word that like, if you wanted to say that something was, you know, very happy or very sad or very strong, you would put meod in front of it. And sometimes they do it twice to add extra emphasis here. Um, like it's a, it's an interesting way to read it. It's like, we are called to offer our muchness to God. Uh, oftentimes I think when we ask people like, what do you have to offer? 
like our default mode is to say what we don't have to offer. Well, I don't have enough of this to give, or I wish I had more of that to give. I want to ask you, what is like, what muchness do you have? Uh, what muchness might you have in terms of your network? Who you know? What muchness might you have in terms of uh, wealth? Maybe it's a material thing. Uh, what about if it's in terms of skills? I spelled it with a Z. I don't know why. <laughs> what about time or wisdom or like your spiritual capacity? Uh, sometimes I feel like folks who are later in life, they feel like dignity has been stripped away from them, like they have nothing left to offer the world. Um, but I believe that oftentimes uh, those folks just have an immense amount of spiritual capacity that they can offer to me and to others. Like what muchness do you have? And what would it look like to offer that muchness to the work of God, to the kingdom of God, to the economy of God, to the family of God, leveraging your muchness, your muchness for the work of God? And then finally, if I were considering, if we're considering together, what sort of resolution we might make, um, living a life bowed down. Um, the last one I, I want to call, invoke your certain uncertainty. Invoke your certain uncertainty. Uh, uh, here I'm thinking of like surrendering. I'm thinking about putting our trust in God, like our certainty in, uh, in God's goodness, rather than in our own certainty, our own answers, our own ability, uh, to provide. Uh, when I'm in a place of uncertainty, this is just me. Um, I, it tends to be paralyzing. If I don't know what to do, uh, it feels like inaction is the next best step. I heard it said this way, when we don't know what to do, we do what we know. And what we know to do is not often the thing that needs to be done. Uh, right? So uh, I don't think that that's what I'm encouraging uh, when I suggest uncertainty. I think uh, what I'm suggesting is rather that we start like Jesus did uh, by listening and by asking questions, right? There's this moment uh, in which Jesus is seeking knowledge. He's seeking wisdom. He's seeking understanding. That's what it looks like for him to live a life bowed down. Uh, and I want to know what it would look like for me uh, to do the same. Um, there are plenty of passages of scripture, like good old faithful ones that point in this direction. Proverbs three, five, trust in the Lord with your God, with all your uh, heart, do not rely on your own insight in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Isaiah 55, eight, for my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, nor my ways, your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than your own thoughts. So don't get them mixed up. Uh, first Corinthians, we hear Paul writing to his friends, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. How often, how often does my certainty, what I am 100% confident about, even, uh, even if I'm not 100% right, <laughs> like how often do I let my 100% confidence, even if I'm not 100% right, get in the way of me learning, asking questions, seeking understanding, um, primarily right? From God. In a sense, uh, it's a, it's a kind of a dismissive reality where I say, I don't need to sit in my father's house and search for understanding. I already know the answers. So I have no need to seek them out from God in this moment. When I say invoking or embracing your certain uncertainty, I think this is what I have uh, in mind. It's too much to unpack for today, but it's worth considering who came to the cradle of Jesus and how they came shepherds and seekers, those on the outskirts of society and lofty thinkers, but they all came to bow down. Everyone who is a part of the story of Jesus, 
the story that Jesus is rooted in, the story that we are rooted in, our spiritual family tree, they walked with the same posture, bowing down, saying yes to God, offering whatever they had. Might we consider ourselves today in this Christmas tide, standing at the base of the bassinet? How would we come? What posture would we take? And what might we have to offer? Blessings on your 2024. Uh, May it be free of both worry and fear uh, and full of all the goodness that God has to offer you as you offer the fullness of yourself to God. Blessings on your new year. Amen. Well, it's been great to worship with you together during this time. Uh, We'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship in person or online, live on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. You can find more information about our worship times or worship with us online at fvumc.org. And while you're there, uh, you can find plenty of ways to connect with us, uh, whether that's uh, connecting in sort of an opportunity for community around here or serving the greater Fuquay community around us. Uh, So we'd love to invite you to join us for those. Uh, If this is a resource that provides you spiritual sustenance and you'd like to partner with us in making it possible for everyone else, while you're there, the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says give, or you can go to fvumc.org slash give and make a gift there that makes the mission and ministry of this place possible. We're so thankful for everyone who partners with us uh, to do just that. Listen, it's been great. It's been great to be together with you uh, in this moment, and we look forward to worshiping again with you real soon. We'll see you then.